Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Paul Thompson. Hi, Paul. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. So Paul is a uh, Paul David Thompson, that's your full name, is a successful real estate investor, entrepreneur, and he's transitioned from uh, nine to five to being a full-time investor. And uh, Paul has a, uh, he's a founder of the uh, My Freedom Foundry and Next Level Mastermind, well as he has a fund, he's a fund manager. And uh, yeah, so could you tell us about Paul a little bit, where you live, your family first, and then we'll jump into real estate and funds and masterminds. Sure, all the fun stuff, right? So I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I'm very happily married for uh, 18, almost 19 years now, I guess. And I have uh, two kids. They're in um, junior high and high school. So it like I think I did that. They're going into what is it, the 10th and 7th grade. So in three to six years, they'll both be out of out of the house. And so we're savoring every moment that we can with our kiddos. I certainly appreciate that. I know the drill. My oldest one out of the house, uh, and I, I've got a few other kids that uh, it's the same thing. You basically try to treasure every moment and, and appreciate your kids and their successes, whatever sports and activities. That's wonderful. Yep. yep. Um, so tell us a little bit about sort of uh, your fund, and we'll talk a little bit about your mastermind uh, mm-hmm. that you have founded. So first about the fund. Uh, sure. what, what's the fund name? What does it do? What does it invest into? Uh, just, just curious. Right. So the name of the fund is One Call Capital, and we're a passive income fund, which uh, focuses on providing liquidity or loans to land flippers and transactional loans and the occasional construction loan. So we're very short-term based asset lender. So our loans don't last for any more than six months. And we uh, focus on the the investor who is looking for a a passive return where we are reducing and minimizing the risk as much as possible. There's always some risk in any sort of investment, but we go out of our way to take the risk off the table by having very short-term loans and lending no more than 50% loan to value on our loans. And so we offer capital investors a 12% pref, and then we split the upside 50-50. So I appreciate that. Uh, pretty interesting that you said that. So you you basically focusing on fifty percent LTV, and yep. you're able to generate pretty high yield to twelve percent. Most funds have seven eight pref, right? Twelve percent right. pref is a pretty high pref, right? How, how are you able to do that? I'm just curious. What kind of loans you able to put in place? What what mm-hmm. kind of rate you able to charge? Yeah, transactional loans. Um, are you doing tra- transactional classic ABBC flips? Are you doing kind yep. of delayed transactional that are, you know, you buy now and sell in three months with some no, contract. Uh, 
what I call a transactional loan is it's 72 hours or less and the A to B and B to C all happen within three days of each other. And the C transaction has already had a contract in place and at the title company, it's just in an environment where they're either trying to hide what they bought it for, or they're in a jurisdiction that doesn't allow pass-through funds. So at A to B, B to C, uh, it's all set up. They just need liquidity. And so we offer liquidity for an A to B transaction. And then the, the C buyer shows up and we don't fund or release funds until the C buyer's funds are already in escrow. Yeah, I appreciate that. So we, we've done this quite a bit, uh, transactional funding, and it's dried up. I don't see much of it. And I'm just curious to see if you're still seeing volume because this business is absolutely great business when you can it get is. it. Yeah. The challenge is you don't get a lot of volume of it. So you could deploy a little bit of money on this. You get certainly a greater rate of return. The right. problem is you can't deploy a lot of capital into this because it's not needed per se. It's not needed very often. There's only a few jurisdictions like the state of Arkansas where I live. I just You just simply cannot do a dry transaction where the C funds funds the A to B transaction. It just doesn't work. It just The title companies just won't do it. So that's a very common place where we do transactional funding. Uh, and there's a few other scenarios where it just you just kind of want to there's a reason why you don't want to all parties to know how what great of a deal you got. So you do transactional funding to basically mm-hmm. obfuscate uh, the, the transaction. And you're right. You, you probably couldn't run a fund just on transactional lending because you couldn't consistently have enough demand for that loan type to keep the, the capital working. But it's a really good way to keep uh, idle capital that you always have in a fund in some degree is a good way to get a good return on money that is often just idle. Yeah, understood and agreed. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned this. This is our past from years, you know, 20, 2009, 10, 11. We've done a lot of that business. Short sale uh-huh. flip, it, it had to yep. be done and it was a lot of demand. Yep. And then it kind of all came to a screeching halt in 2011. We've done transactional funding deals over the years when they need it, but it feels like the amount of volume there is fairly limited. But let's go back to other things that the fund does. Just curious. So when you do uh, loans uh, on land, and land, mm-hmm. yes, typically is fifty percent LTV. Is that's that's the norm. Uh, just curious, what do you charge? What kind of interest rates in this environment? Yeah, we're charging eighteen um, uh, percent or as high as we can get um, away with with usury law. So we push all the way up to the edge of usury, and that's and that's what we charge, um, because oftentimes in land, the the borrower, or the the land flipper. They've done several deals. They've tapped out their own cash. They see the the opportunity in dealing, doing more deals. They have access to deals. They've done the marketing and they've secured contracts, but they've run out of cash. So they need to go find an alternative place. And going to a bank is not tenable. Very few banks, if any banks, will lend on small transactions for raw land at all. Uh, or the, the other alternative is to JV with somebody who often requires 50% of the upside. So we are a, um, a kind of a happy medium between those two situations where you either get no funding or you have to give away half your deal. So we're less expensive than a JV operation. Yeah, I appreciate the clarification. And um, yeah, 18% is pretty high rate. And and the interesting thing is that with interest rates having gone up, it, it, it I guess under some circumstances, you can still charge uh, 18% or higher. Uh, in competitive deals, uh, especially larger dollar amounts, there is competitive money, uh, but it's not bank. Of course, it's private money. Sure. And uh, I was just curious to hear what the rates are. Uh, I sort of expected to hear 13, 14 percent. 
15. We've, we've done them. We've done, we've, we've pushed the rates up from 12 to 13, 14. But 18, hey, if you can do it, wonderful. Mm -hmm. So much more power to you. And yep. that's, that's that. Um, what's, let, let's shift a little bit and talk about the mastermind uh, mm -hmm. groups that you're running. So what kind of masterminds? Who, who are they for? Are they for real estate kind of professionals? Are they yeah. for investors? For just curious to talk, talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, so there's there's four uh, real estate investors who are interested in either escaping their day job, or they have there are business owners, they're real estate entrepreneurs, and they're looking to uh, scale their business. They're looking to have access to more insider deals. Uh, they're looking for basically building a network of of solutions for a business because when when you're running a small uh, syndication type business and you're just getting started. Um, you, you, it's, it tends to be a team sport. And so the mastermind is very much around helping people build their team and find the resources and the context that they need and have access to deals and the ability to raise capital so that they can, you know, take down these larger commercial deals. And that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, multifamily or what other syndications can be and should be in many ways, team sport, unless folks get to a bigger level. Sure. Um, so just what what's a typical deal that folks do in your mastermind? I'm just curious. Is it 100 doors, 200 doors? How many folks need to partner? And sure. I have this one one quick comment on this, and I, I've seen this again and again. Mm -hmm. People wind up partnering, but the danger is be careful the partners you get on board. If you get into the wrong uh, partnership, then you've got you know difficult partners to deal with. That's a good point. And that's a lot of the reason that we have a mastermind so that we have a time to get to know each other for a while before we choose to partner together. So there's no obligation for people in the mastermind to, to, to partner with each other, but it creates an environment where you get to know some people, you, you hear the questions that, that they have, you, you hear their stories and their backstories and it gets you a sense of, of their personality uh, and kind of their, the way of operating so that you can figure out if this is somebody you want to work with. And I absolutely agree that when you go into any sort of partnership, you, you need to go do it with your eyes open, <laughs> you know, um, like 50% of marriages, uh, in a divorce and like, um, I forget the exact number, but something like 70% of business partnerships in within the first five years. So it's, it's very common for these partnerships on, syndication type deals to be short-term like it's intended on the front end to be short-term and in our mastermind there's no particular prescription as to what size deal makes sense it's the deal that makes sense for you as an operator so if you're relatively new you may be doing something smaller you may only be doing you know, like a 30 unit apartment complex if you're uh, you and the you know, people you want to work with um, are a little more sophisticated and you kind of have a you know, a bigger, uh, a, a bigger eyes, maybe you can get into a much larger uh, project. It doesn't have to be multifamily. That, that's typically what I've gotten involved in, but that's not necessarily what's limited to the, because some people will do RV parks. So uh, we'll do storage. Um, so it, it's, we partner with existing operators that are doing this business at a high level already. So what we're trying to do is find world-class operators and we're trying to solve a problem for these operators. They either need to raise capital, uh, they need someone to do investor relations, they need to um, have someone 
you know, uh, do the underwriting for them or do some of the due diligence. And so that's the kind of problems we're trying to help solve for a syndicator who is out there finding deals, but then they need an asset manager or they need an investor relations person. Yeah. And that makes sense. Uh, that's sort of a, that's a dream to find strong operator, uh, and all they do is execute and they don't do anything else. It's right. kind of interesting. We, we, we've actually done quite a bit of this. So we've raised capital for large institutional quality operators who do just the operation. So you can do it on smaller scale. And, and certainly there are players who are specialists in whatever niche, especially right. this business needs local presence, local strength. Yes. And, uh, a lot of success depends on the ability to execute. I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> any of these projects very much depend on local execution. If you can't execute, uh, it's difficult to yep. make money. In fact, you know, there's a lot of risk involved uh, related to the execution. So how do you, um, just curious, how do you raise capital for, or how do you folks in your mastermind raise capital for these deals? Because one of the biggest challenges in, in this world is... Um, no like and trust and a lot of folks uh come up with wonderful bright and shiny objects but they don't have the expertise and they're saying well mm -hmm. i partner with this person because they're an expert well it's in their first deal together and it, 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 you're relying on a partner you don't know on a strategy mm -hmm. you're getting just into i'm just curious what's mm -hmm. been your experience and the folks in your group with capital raising because it's gotten a whole lot harder <laughs> we're recording this middle of 23 and it's got a way way harder to raise capital uh, it's a different world from just a year ago, certainly two years ago. Uh, so raising capital now is an environment where people are just very uncertain. Uh, there's a lot of cash in the sidelines trying to figure out where is safe harbor, where they can they get a decent yield and take a little risk. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the common scenario that or the, probably the biggest challenge, I would say, that any capital raiser is facing right now. And so uh, with people in my group, it's you know, very much independent on their network and their skill set and their experience. And so as some people are doing small regional um, apartments that are that are in the scheme of things, very small for air quote syndicators, uh, but they're using their existing network. And so one of the first things we go through in the mastermind is building your power base. And most people have a much more rich and thorough Rolodex or uh, contact list of, of 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 a network than they realize, and so it's one of the first exercises we go through is okay, this is a long term game, and this is a relationship business, and so you already have relationships, go and nurture those, and go and create your your list that I call your power base, that is all the people that would know who you were when you you uh, were to text or call or email them, or reach out to them on social media. And that's the people who already know you. They may not really, like, I hope they like you, but they may not trust you yet as far as when it comes to money, but they already know you. So they've, they've, you've overcome the first obstacle already. And so you, you work that angle for a while and you provide value to them and you, you create a newsletter, you create some sort of, um, you know, post that you do on social media about what you're getting into. You publicly state, this is something I'm getting into. Um, and you just provide some value. One of the things that I learned is uh, this is what a syndication is. And you just put it out there. And what you're doing is you're educating your own audience that you don't realize you already have. 
And when you do so, you, you it's a small list, probably 100 people to begin with, but it's a small list. In that 100 people, there's five or 10 people in there who are very interested in what you're doing and very may likely invest in what you're doing. And if you're doing a small apartment complex and you only need to raise $500,000, you probably have it right there in your phone contacts, just don't know it. Yeah, I agree with that theory wholeheartedly. Uh, that's uh, I do a little private coaching on a site from time to time. This is not the business I do. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I tell them. What's your sphere of influence? Just basically exactly. write your friends and family list yep. and go to them. And even before you commit to raising capital for a deal, right? Uh, go ask them if the deal looked like this or a fund looked like this, would you invest? And how much yeah. and when? It's just kind of a most basic, but so that makes total sense. Uh, uh, what else? I'm just curious. Uh, what other great ideas you you think are out there for folks that are looking to um, raise capital? And then just when we finish that, the next question will be: What do you think the opportunities are? What do you see interesting opportunities in this environment where it's kind of you know, a little slow on the transaction side. Uh, it is. But yeah. yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. So on the first question, I would say it's uh, throw some parties, have some fun. Um, it may not amount to anything business-wise, but um, I'm going to steal this from Grant Cordon, but I agree with it. You know, contacts equals contracts. And you need to go out there and be making contacts with people and you need to be getting, uh, you know, reestablishing and uh, deepening relationships with other people and be genuinely interested in what's going on in their lives. Find out when their birthday is and uh, find out when their kids are graduating from school or, you know, are they having a baby or whatever's happening in their life, you know, really be interested in what, what's happening with them. Um, and then on the Second question. Well, I guess I'll finish the, the first question. You you take these people and you you have parties. So like a couple of months ago, I had an event in Houston and it was for our mastermind and we had a good time. We were in an Airbnb and it was a very intimate kind of uh, setting where it was just people from the mastermind. But then on Saturday night, we were in Texas. We're like, hey, let's invite everybody we know in the city of Texas uh, or the city of Houston or in the nearby area and come over come over to our uh, Airbnb and we're going to order barbecue and we're just going to hang out. And I got to know several people there that I didn't already know in Houston. So anybody that I knew, I asked their network to invite their network to my event and I paid for it. And I think I probably spent, I don't know, four or $500 for a dinner that night. Um, but I made an enriched contacts. Now I have their email address. I have their text. I have their phone number. I've asked what they're interested in. Are you a syndicator? Are you raising money? Uh, like what kind of investor are you? Are you a passive? You're active. And so I put them in buckets afterwards. And that's a good way to add to your network. So my friends, family, and associates, sphere of influence just got bigger because I was willing to host a party. And I'm not even the life of the party kind of guy. I'm just like, I like to talk to people and have, have interesting conversations. And I like good barbecue. Why not invite people over while you're doing that for a very nominal cost? Um, And then to your second question, what's happening in the marketplace and like, where's opportunity? So right now, I think with the interest rates being higher than what we've been used to the last few years, I I would not really even refer to them as elevated. They're just probably back to normal and it's been abnormal for the last 10, 12 years. and this is probably the new normal for a while. Uh, and But what's interesting around in this environment is uh, owner financing makes a whole lot more sense and is a much easier conversation to have with sellers than it ever was. There's also opportunities in the commercial space to assume 
loans that have very low interest rates that may still not not um, recast for another three to five years. I think that'd be a very interesting strategy to to look into if you're looking to buy an asset is to try and find somebody who has an asset that they've um, kind of they're over and they might be willing to sell a bit of a discount. They might be able to carry a note. They might be able to allow, allow you to assume their loan because they don't want to fuss with that asset anymore. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, strategy. I, I I wholeheartedly agree with you again uh, on this topic that um, looking at the seller financing or taking over existing loans as part of the deal structuring is a critical piece of making things work. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because uh, the rates moved up a lot, and the low in- fixed let's just, let's just say fixed low interest rate is a substantial asset. So it quite Huge. often sticks with property. Yeah. yeah, and, and Fannie Freddie products, folks who locked in the assumable uh, and taken over an assumable loan, uh, is a um, is a safety uh, procedure. It's a safety me- method to basically make the numbers work today. The only thing you have to be mindful in this: when sellers sell, typically with assumable financing, uh, what often happens. This is at least a kind of a way to think about this as a mm-hmm. seller. Why sellers offer this? Right, they do it when they don't want to discount the price. So if you have a, if as a seller, if you have a assumable mortgage, that's wonderful. That's a great asset you have. Mm-hmm. And typically, their need to sell right. is a little bit less because they're, they're not feeling stress and motivation. So just from a buyer's perspective, uh, you have to be mindful that you may not be getting as great of a price, but you're getting great financing. So it's right. a trade-off, and in some ways. Um, is it better to try to get cheaper pricing but pay high interest rates or potentially pay a little more but get assumable debt so or seller financing? Uh, I, I certainly love the idea. I don't know any other It's on a per case in- basis, right? You'd really want to do your underwriting and figure out um, if, if it makes sense. And I, I definitely would agree with the, the, the tendency that uh, like that's a concession. It's like, hey, you can like I want to sell at this price. I'm really not, uh, I have this great asset in the financing that I can, that I'll allow you to assume I won't make you pay that off. Why don't you take on to that? And that's a uh, like a, a an area of negotiation that you could, that a seller will use to not have discount the price. Yeah. And, and it, not only that, it's the, it's a forced assumption, right? Because Fannie and Freddie, if, if folks have institutional uh, product, they have institutional loan, Mm-hmm. They have to be assumed. It, it's almost like uh, you can't buy it because preparing penalties are steep. So low interest rate. Oh, if they sold, mortgage. if they bought it recently, then then there's a there's a prepayment penalty. That's right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, from a couple of years ago. I'm not going back far, but if you yeah. if you have a, a certain duration, five ten years, and you bought you know two or three years ago, and you locked in a fixed rate debt, you have a phenomenal asset. I mean, this is just the fixed in. The low fixed interest is, in essence, a very valuable asset. And this is what's happening with residential real estate. People are not selling because these things are not assumable. Wow. Uh, Why would they? Right. Yeah. Right now, you're not buying a house unless you have to buy a house because you're sitting on sub 6% interest that's fixed for the rest of the term of the loan. That's an amazing, I mean, uh, it feels like free money, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it's not just up 6%. Uh, I had another guest on a podcast who, if I remember correctly, and I may be a little off, but ballpark in the residential space, 
something like two-thirds of all mortgages on residential properties in the United States are fixed below 4%. Some crazy. Below 4 Not 6 Below <laughs> <laughs> 4 So it's a it's a drastic difference versus what you can get today. And, and that's yeah. it, it's causing a lot of sellers a state to, to stay away from moving or to selling. And unless it's a life event, really, you know, that's the only reason to move event. right now is that there's a there's a compelling reason in your life that you really have to move. Yeah, exactly. Um so we're running beginning to run out of time. I just wanted to kind of give you a chance to provide a little bit of um kind of contact information, how folks mm-hmm. reach out to you. Uh, number one, number two, uh, really good book you want to recommend. Um, any just general sharing, any you know, great concept, any, this was actually a great concept, seller financing. So as a seller, as a buyer, keep it in mind because mm-hmm. it is happening as a consideration more and more. More, And yeah. uh, you know, what's really interesting on this subject and I'll let you kind of jump uh, is when folks are refinancing today at a little uh-huh. bit high interest rate, Yep. They're creating safety for themselves. But if the interest rates cycle back down, they're going to have to sell with a little bit of that assumable mortgage. And it's going to work a little bit against them. So fixed rate debt is wonderful, but uh, some of it comes with prepayment penalties. So folks should most certainly look into what they're refinancing if it is prepayment penalty. On commercial deals, it is sometimes called yield curve maintenance. Sometimes it's a step down repayment penalty, but just something to keep in mind. Residential in general doesn't have prepayment penalties, mm-hmm. but commercial does uh, in some, you know, in some transactions. So anyway, uh, how would folks get a hold of you in any, you know, good book? So the best way to get a hold of me is on my website, uh, pauldavidthompson.com. It's, I'll, I'll provide you the, the link to that um, so that people can get it right, but it's spelled the way you'd expect those names to be spelled, pauldavidthompson.com. And I'm also Paul David Thompson on pretty much any social or, um, or YouTube, if you could consider that social, I'm out there as well. And then um, my fund is called onecallcapital.com, and I'll send you the link to that as well, Mike. Now, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, you book and, and any, or any any other. So it could be a book, could be some you know wonderful video article. Just curious, yeah, resource. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's think about a couple ones. Uh, a book that I just got through reading is called uh, 10X is Easier Than 2X. And it's a relatively new book that came out. Uh, and it's basically another take on Grant Cordon's 10X concept. Uh, but it talks about a little more of the reason why. And basically what you're saying is um, exponential thinking gets you a lot further than linear thinking. And I think all of us are a little bit limited by our own a linear way of thinking. We tend to try and uh, figure out what our uh, exchange of value is on a one-to-one basis versus a one-to-many basis. So we we get a job and we uh, earn an income and then we get a, a salary or we get an hourly wage and that's a one-to-one transaction. And so like right now, if someone were to call me up and say, hey, can I interview you for um, you know, like a, a newspaper article or some some one-off interview, I'm really not interested in that because that's a one-to-one transaction and that interview uh, happens and then it's over with and it probably never gets viewed or watched again. Whereas when I'm on a podcast, 
this is a one to many situation because people can watch this on your YouTube channel, on your, your podcast for years to come. And yeah, there's probably a long tail as to how much people uh, will watch it, but it's not a one-to-one transaction. So I uh, think, think of living your life and running your business in a way that you can create one-to-many transactions. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. I wholeheartedly agree with you again. Uh, and it's funny, I'm going to get the book because uh, it's relatively new, but my executive coach uh, told me that, did you know that it's easier to 10X than 2X? I said, really? And he said, absolutely. It's a mindset. Obviously, you're focusing on the activities that have much greater uh, impact versus mm-hmm. the activities that have incremental impact. Right. So it's kind of geometric uh, magnitude level of impact right. versus uh, just marginal. So mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Once again, Paul David Thompson, just like it sounds.com. Appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Wishing you best of success. Uh, thank you again. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to bigmikefun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.